0: You'll please take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're finishing up our topical study of looking at kingdom living. What does it mean to live out the faith and not just be uh, a part of looking at this as a building, but how are we to go out and be the church? And so uh, this afternoon, uh, we will look at kingdom community. What does it mean to be uh, united together? And so, Uh, As I was doing the study, I came across uh, the following story. It says a man was stranded all alone on a deserted island, and he sent smoke signals daily, hoping that someone would see it and find him. Ten years had elapsed, and finally a ship passed by. And so the captain of the ship was notified about the smoke signals, and he decided to see what was going on at the island. When he got close to shore, he saw a man in three huts, And the captain of the ship sent a small boat to rescue the man. And when the man got on board the ship, he embraced the captain and thanked him profusely for rescuing him. I'm glad to be able to help you, said the captain. But where are the others? What others, said the man? I'm alone. I'm the only one on this island. Well, then asked the captain with a confused expression. If you are alone, why are there three huts on the island? Oh, that I can explain, said the man. The first hut is my home. And that is where I live. And the hut next to it is where I go to church. And the third hut asked the captain. The man said, oh, that is where I used to go to church. (laughs) It is one of those things that we do laugh about, but it's sadly uh, truer than not that we live in a day and age where people leave and they break unity with one another over sometimes big things, sometimes little things. But there is a reality that we have been called unto unity in Christ. We've been called to become a kingdom community. So look at your passage this morning in Ephesians 4. And I want you to see the passage as it continues to grow. So it calls us to community unity. It calls us to community diversity in regards to the gifts. And then also calls us to community maturity. So I want to see that as you go through the passage this morning. So let's look at it together. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? And he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speak in the truth and love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, you have in the process of this through our R&R weekend and now this series series, of sermons that have been preached on what does it mean to live out your kingdom call, whether it's through us looking at ourselves as the missionaries, as we look at ourselves as being the ones who need to hear the gospel message preached every day. We need to understand what it means to worship and to have kingdom prayer. But Lord, you've also called us uniquely together as one body of believers united in Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would truly come and teach us and that you would be glorified and honored, and that you would transform us into the likeness of our Savior Jesus Christ. For this we pray in his name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at is the community, community unity. And so as we begin to see this, we're going to see four different aspects. And the first thing we have to understand is that there is an authority that oversees all of the unity. And we see that in Jesus Christ in verse 15 and 16, where Jesus Christ is the head. Because if Jesus Christ is not the head, if he is not the authority of us, then the body becomes irrelevant if there is no head. And so he says that he is the head of the church. And so his lordship becomes something that is very real to us. And so what he does is he unites all of us at the cross. Remember, he tells us very specifically, there is no distinction between anyone's. There's no distinctions in nature. There's no distinctions in nations. There's no distinctions in dialect. There's no distinction in color. There's no distinction with um, the way that we look in the culture. There's nothing that separates us. There's all a level playing field at the foot of the cross. And so we all are united in Jesus. And so union with Christ is a very real thing because Jesus is real. And as we begin to see this, not only does he unite us at the cross, but he gives to us the Holy Spirit. And as he gives to us the Holy Spirit, it's one of the things that he focused on in his prayer. Remember when he had his, his prayer before he goes to die, before he comes into Jerusalem, his mind was set on the church, and his mind was set on unity. Father, as we are one, let these let this people be one. We need to be coming together as we find ourselves in the midst of unity. And how does that happen? Well, it happens when we allow the Holy Spirit to move and to lead. Because the Holy Spirit, listen, does nothing outside of the Trinity. He's always calling us back. He's always leading us back to the truth of the, of the Son. He's always doing the things of the Father. And so by therefore, he is the one who unites us. So if everyone has the Holy Spirit, listen, he cannot fight against himself. Do you get that? If we are led by the Spirit, if we're allowing the Holy Spirit to move and to lead and to guide us, then it's not into conflict. Because the spirit is not fighting against himself. We need to be led by the spirit, not like the world does, who uses people, or when they're nice when they want to. Um, yesterday, I was out with Jameson. We had to get some stuff for his, his basketball, uh, team. And so we were out and, uh, we're there and we're, um, exiting and the people in front of us are checking out and they walk away and they leave. And the lady, I mean, in front of us as a customer says, Sigh. I wish that we didn't have to be nice as customer service. I wish we could say what we really are thinking. And it's one of those things, because again, that's the reality, isn't it? I'll be nice when I'm trying to get something from you. That's the world. But what God says, there's something different in the church. Now now again, let's be honest. Unity is very fragile. We, even in the church, hold grudges. We speak harshly. We fight. We want to divide illegitimately. And I get it. We, it's not, a lot of times we want people to hurt as much as we do. And so we begin to to, to bicker. We begin to complain. We begin to, to pull apart. We begin to separate ourselves. I remember very clearly I was, I was praying this prayer. God, get them. And then I was like, well, you can't really pray that as a pastor. So then I made it more holy. God, you get them. But then came the conviction God, forgive as I have been forgiven. Lord, restore as you've restored me. Lord, give them mercy and grace as you've given me mercy and grace. Because I don't want God to treat me the way that I treat people. I want to treat other people the way Christ treated me. See, there's a difference. And so there's that understanding that when we allow the Holy Spirit to lead, he convicts us. And he convicts us by what? By slaying our sin. He's the one. Again, we learned last week, he's the umpire. So when we step out of line, when we begin to find ourselves out of step with what the scripture teaches us, when we begin to do things that are, are, are unheard of or should be unheard of, he's the one who calls us back. He's the one who says we're out of step. He's the one who slays our sin. He's the one who also teaches us how to be patient, to wait for God's timing. He's the one who helps us love. And so the Spirit comes and He convicts and He brings about unity because, again, He can't fight against Himself. And then the scripture says very clearly there are five virtues that are a part of our understanding as Christians. Look at verse 2. It says, with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. See, these are things that all of us are supposed to have in regards to our understanding of who Christ is. We're humble. Are you thinking of others others better than yourself? Or do you fight to be number one? Do we have gentleness? Which means do we restrain our strength? So it's not always about winning. It's not always about being right. It's about pulling back and saying, God, not, not my way, your way. Not my will, your will. And it also says that there's patience. Patience that quietly waits on God's timing. Because we're getting, we, at least I do, I get upset when God doesn't answer my prayers in the timing that I think he should. So I try to push ahead, or I try to tell God, speed things up. Patience is learning that God does it at the right time, always. And then it says forbearance. And forbearance means that we give the slack that we wish everyone would give to us. Forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And it says all of this is summed up in love. Love. A self-sacrificing, self-giving love. And so he says this is what it means to have the virtues of the Holy Spirit that builds us up into unity. And we do this because we are one. What does it mean? Because it says here, we've called to one hope. Verse 4. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is... In all and through all and in all and over all. One. So again, the question becomes, am I living a God-centered life or am I just trying to fit him in to my time schedule? Two very different perspectives. If God is a center, then everything is built from him and it goes out. God, how, how are you glorified? How are you going to become more important than myself? How are how are you going to use me to minister to other people? How are you going to use the gifts that you've given? How are you going to use love and mercy and grace? How do I give it away? So it's very different than putting ourselves at the center and saying, God, what are you going to do for me? So it's changing our perspective so that as we understand as we are one, we give glory and honor to God as we begin to live out those virtues, as we begin to allow the Holy Spirit to lead, we become unified. But he does it in such a way that he uses it through community diversity. He didn't just create us all to look the same. He didn't give us all the same kind of gifts. He gave us different gifts for different purposes. Now why is he even doing this? And and, and it's kind of a weird section of the passage, I think... But it says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then it goes into the ascended and he descended. And what does it mean when he ascends? Well, he's going back because what it's talking about, it's talking about a conquering king. He's the victor. And so what he does is, in this passage, he's actually quoting uh, Psalm sixty eight eighteen. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. So it's a, it's a connection back to the Old Testament, and it's where God, Yahweh, okay goes out and he takes the people out of Egypt and brings them into the Promised Land. And so it talks about, as a conquering king, what would happen... With the conquered king would come into the land, and as he conquered it, he would then take all of the spoils of war. He would take it and would parade it around the city and show this is what we have gotten. And then what he does, he takes the spoils of war and starts to give it away to the people, those that fought for him, those that gave money, those that, that were a part of things, and he gave the spoils of war away. This is what's happening in Psalm 68, and it goes from God and he makes a connection to Jesus. This is Jesus. He is the victor. He's conquered sin and death. He came, he descended to heaven to earth to become that perfect man, to live a perfect life. And then when he ascended into heaven, he ascended as the victor. And what he does for us is he gives to us gifts. He gives to us the spoils of war. And so what he does is he gives us um, the gifts that he gives. He gives to us in regards to these men. And he said he gave some to be the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, again, I want you to understand this is not an exhaustive set of gifts. This is a very specific descriptive word of gifts. For there's many other passages where you're going to see other gifts given to the body of Christ. But there's a very specific understanding in regards to these gifts. And every person that this describes has to deal with the Word. They either wrote the Word or they're supposed to be telling and equipping with the Word. Now that's very important for us to understand because it's the Word that makes us look more like Jesus. That's, again, why I, I constantly ask, if, as long as you are in the Word... And I don't care if you're doing just a little bit. I don't care if you're reading through the, the New Testament 12 times in a year. If you're reading through the whole uh, chronological way. I don't care how you do it. Do it. Be in the Word. Allow the Word to be changing you. Allow the Word to be uh, affecting your mind and transforming your thinking and transforming your heart. And as it happens, what happens is it says that we then then we get to equipped. That's what it says. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So it's for the work of ministry. It's for the equipping of saints. There is a man called Simon Austin who wrote in regards to this. And he gives a distinction between a bus as a church and an orchestra. And I want you to to hear this. And if you want a copy, I can print it off for you. That's not a problem. One of the writers of this passage identifies a common problem in our churches. He talks about the church as a bus and the church as an orchestra. In the church, as bus analogy, the congregation are simply passengers, and the minister is the driver. Some of the passengers may occasionally help clean or maintain the bus, and some always want to sit in the same seats. They all appreciate good driving, of course. Some never talk to new passengers, while others are really hoping that certain passengers get off at the next stop. It's a common enough way to experience church life isn't it? But, he says, that's not the biblical picture of what the church should be. He says the church should be more like an orchestra, for the conductor helps the whole orchestra play in tune and in concert with each member performing their role. And while he helps them understand the composer's musical score correctly, the score, of course, is the Bible, the Word of God, And although the conductor is the preacher, the whole congregation responds to the score together, each part engaged in ministry. As a conductor, the pastor-teacher interprets Christ's instructions in Holy Scripture so that the whole orchestra makes the sound the heavenly composer intended. See, in regards to this, there was an illustration. And the illustration was, you know, we have great conductors around the world, and someone went and congratulated the conductor, and he said, Don't congratulate me. It's Beethoven who was the one who should be congratulated. I simply conducted. And the orchestra is the one who played. See, we all should be playing our part. Whatever it may be. Whether you're the first chair violin. To just ring the little triangle. It all has to be a part of the orchestra. It all plays its part at the right time. To make a beautiful, beautiful sound of what... The creation of the music should be. So all of us should be playing within the orchestra. And that means we're all gifted for the ministry. Let me give you, there's an illustration. It said about an hour before dismissal one day, a new student was brought into the room. This is during a vacation Bible school. And the little boy had one arm missing. And since the class was almost over, the teacher had an opportunity to learn. Didn't have the opportunity to learn the details of a situation. And she was nervous that one of the other children would say something insensitive to him. So she proceeded cautiously with the lesson. And then as the class came to a close, she asked the children to join her in their usual closing ceremony. Let's make our churches, she said, putting our hands together to form the church. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, and here's the people. Suddenly the awful truth struck her. The very thing she had feared that the children would do, she had done And as she stood there speechless, the little girl sitting next to the boy reached over with her left hand and placed it up to his right hand and said, Josh, let's make the church together. See, Josh needed someone to help him do what he could not do for himself. That's the way it is with every church. Jesus gives spiritual gifts to every believer that they might be used so that Jesus can grow his church. See, we're all brought. We're all here to minister to one another. That's why things like To Gather, the benefit concert, people who go and do ministry to BTW, people who fix bikes, people who do things without even being noticed are worth in a part of the church's ministry. But sometimes we don't use our gifts and there's reasons why. Sometimes we don't use it because we're ignorant. We don't know what our gifts are. If that's the case, I put a sign out list out in the foyer, out in the welcome center. Please sign up. I will make sure you get a gifts test and we'll work on it. and We'll find out what your gifts are because no one should be ignorant of what their gifting is. Sometimes it's isolation. But there is, listen, in the church, no freelance Christians. And third, sometimes people feel that they have an inferiority complex in regards to their gifts. And God says there's no trivial gifts in the kingdom of God. So again, We're called to minister to one another in the midst of our diversity. And then the third thing he calls us to is community maturity. See, what he does is he desires us to grow. He doesn't want us to stay as little children, so he says that, so that they may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, whether by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together in every joint for which it is equipped. And when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, there's a maturity that comes, which means there has to be growth. And the growth means that all of us have all of the virtues, Now, they might be at different levels, and I understand that. Some might be in the seed form, but there's always a process of us growing in the virtues of humility, forbearance, love, patience. It's what we're called to do in the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is I start. I should be asking you this question, and I want you to kind of answer this right now, not out loud, but who are you serving in this church or in the community? Could you name them? And there are people in here. I'm looking at some people right now who I know who are ministering to other people in their complex. And even in the midst of pain and, and suffering, they're still reaching out to other people and making them feel important and special because nobody else in the world is stepping up. Are you praying for someone else in this church? And if you're not, look around and pick one. Start to pray for them. Pray for them. And if you're able, pick 12. Twenty. Who is it that you've connected with someone new? In the last few weeks, have you gone from your spot and gone and found somebody completely new in this church that you haven't talked to? And I understand that means you have to slow down exiting this building. Some of you move really fast. Maybe slow down and go meet someone new. And then maybe invite them over. Practice hospitality. With one another. If you're embarrassed of your house. Because it's not clean enough. Take them out to a restaurant. Go to a park. Go to the beach. But meet one another. Love one another. Minister to one another. Because as we begin to grow. We grow not only in the word. But we grow in our awareness. Of the theological issues. As well as the, the normal everyday issues. And we grow in gentleness. Because we love do you understand that that's, that's how he finishes? In love. You can't just whip this up. See, it means that every part, that's what it says, every part is working properler. properly. sorry. And so it should beg the question, why are we doing what we're doing? One of the things in youth ministry that was told to me is never do something alone if you can do it with someone else. Always invite a teenager over. Always invite someone to come and be a part of it. You need to work on a car? Invite someone over. You need to do some yard work? Invite someone over. You need to wash your roof? Invite someone over. You need to move? Invite someone over. But be a part of including people. Do works of service. Remember what Christ did? Christ washed the disciples' feet. Who are you willing to get down in the midst? And that's not a glorious thing. To wash nasty, smelly, dirty feet and this was something that a slave wasn't even required to do. And Jesus says, As I have done, now you go do to one another. Seek out those that you can do service, works of service to. But make sure you're doing it in love because that's how we're bound. See, we're not a club and we're not a lodge, we're a community. And so what we're connected to is we are bound in love, and it's what Jim read for us. They'll know we are Christians by how we love one another. Francis Safer said this. He said the final, the final apologetic which Jesus gave is the observable love of true Christians for true Christians. That's the last thing Jesus gives. Love. Love. So maybe instead of like the opening story where that used to be my old church, maybe it's more painful when people have to leave. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture 1 Thessalonians 2 8. So, being effectually desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you've become so dear to us. Is that what we are to one another? We share not just the gospel, and that's huge, but we share ourselves with one another. May that always be true of Northside. And may it start with me. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, unity is a fragile thing. And Father, it is easy to break fellowship. It's easy to be discouraged and hurt. But Father, you have called us to unity in the midst of the diversity so that we might grow up in the maturity, but more specifically love in Jesus Christ. So Heavenly Father, as we've gone through this study together, may you truly make us a kingdom church who sees the opportunity to be a movement in the city, who becomes dedicated to kingdom prayers of one to see all come to a saving knowledge of grace that we would preach the gospel to ourselves and others, that we would understand what it means to worship you, that we might understand what it means to evangelize those who are so badly in need of the gospel message. And, Father, that you call us to be united as one body of believers in love in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, send your Spirit in abundance. And, Lord, may we be... And step with him. And may we grow in the virtues. May we be humble. May we be patient. May we be forbearing with one another. And may we be united in love. And Father, we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said.